Hello, good evening, good day, good morning, whatever time of day it is that you chose to press play. I do thank you for pressing play on the Irish Songwriters Podcast. Um, my name is Ray Heffernan, and I'm the presenter of said Irish Songwriters Podcast. Um, I've been away for ages, so this this is the first time in a long time that I that I've sat down to do a full episode. Um, and I'll explain why in just a second. I just want to explain the the idea behind this particular episode. This is episode four of a series of seven. Um, and this episode is called Surrounded by Sound because it's essentially the tale of our surroundings. Um, what I've done is I've spoken to over 50 Irish songwriters now, Irish and other nationalities um, about songwriting and about the why and the how and the when and the who, um, why we do this, why we write songs and why is it that it seems to be a part of the the Irish mentality that we, we like to sing a song and we like to write a song and share a song wherever we go in the world and we are renowned for that, you know, um, and this specific episode is a study of just that um as i say surrounded by sound our surroundings and um yeah so that's uh that's what this episode is particularly about as i said i've been away for a very long time because i got busy in my day job um i i'm very lucky to say i'm not lucky I'm very happy to say that my day job is I'm a songwriter and I teach languages by writing songs with primary school children. Um, the idea is that if in when, when you're when you're learning a language, if you just use your memory and just repetition, um, you will that will stay in your brain until the exam, and then your brain dumps it because it feels it no longer needs that information you know so if i'm if i invite young children to be creative with their um with their language skills then it's theirs they, that becomes their own property and they kind of integrate it quick quickly quicker and uh, and more fully i suppose but last year when i started this podcast i wasn't really that that busy with it um i tend to work between say February and June because the projects that I that I work on tend to finish with a um you know a final show where the where the children sing the songs to their to their parents in a final kind of spectacle um so that's that's the time of year that I tend to work more but this year I've been really really busy thankfully and um so the the uh the podcast has suffered I don't feel I should apologize, but I will. <laughs> I do apologize if you're if you're listening from the start. Um, so let me tell you where I've been. Um, the last episode I did was the one on love songs, um, where I explored or where we explored the desire to write a love song and our relationships within that and how we seem to 
create a relationship with the song itself and how that relationship can change over time and we can fall in and out of love, not just with the, the protagonists in the song, but with the song itself. And the song can change and um, change intention and change meaning over a period of time, you know. And I found it very fascinating um, to do it. Um, unfortunately, one of the... Um, one of the participants in that uh, in that episode kind of got annoyed with me because he felt I removed context the context of what he was saying um in the in the in what because what I do is I edit a conversation together so that it reads like you were reading a book you know I like that we come to an end of a sent an end of a thought and that's a full stop and then a new thought starts with maybe a new sentence or a new paragraph that you could actually and maybe I will, maybe I actually will write the whole thing that, that whole thing down and make a book of it. That would be my dream. Um or my project when I get when I get the seven episodes finished. Um but he took offence because I removed the context from what he was saying and that kind of made me second guess my every move then. Um, when If you've heard the, the, the podcast before, you'll know what I mean. Um, but it kind of made me second guess why I was cutting off this part of maybe a three-minute monologue into a 30-second clip, which suited me to add into the conversation, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so it made me second guess and it made it difficult to sit down and start doing it again, you know. And also the very last episode I did was a very personal story um, about the Robbie Williams situation. And that was a that's a difficult situation for me to, to, to get into. It was only, I only spoke about it because he did. He did an interview and spoke about me. So mine was more of a repost to his uh, to his thoughts rather than something that I wanted to uh, initiate, you know. Um, but that was a strange thing because I, as I spoke about in that episode, that's a difficult area for me to get back into. It's it's like on a mental health way of thinking, that's a very kind of fragile and um, eggshell-y kind of part of my mind, you know. So... Like overall platforms, I think about 5,000 people listened to that episode. And I realized that I could have, like I live in a village in Italy and I could have like put one of those tannoy systems on top of my car and drove around this village and more people would have heard it. <laughs> and so that kind of, uh, again, made me second guess my, my, my intention, you know. Um, and I found myself then kind of, uh, when that went out, I found myself kind of Googling Ray Heffern and Robbie Williams, and that's not a safe place for me to be, you know. So um, so I stayed away from it for a while. But then more recently, um, I was invited to Vienna um, to play at the Schottenfest um, festival, and it just re- it just sparked, re- relit the fire um, of of this kind of fascination I have um, uh, about songwriting and the fascination I have to talk to other songwriters, you know, and I, I was um, honoured to share the stage with um, Mundy 
David Keenan and um, Emma Langford, uh, all who feature in this podcast, and also Stuart Neville and uh, Shane O'Farrell, and you know, even like you know, I was I was really touched and really warmed by uh, by this gathering, you know, um, around songs that uh, that I hadn't been a part of. Maybe I was too distracted. Um, in my own by my own thing to uh, to realize, you know. Um, but yeah. So yeah, and then the 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 Schottenfest thing just kind of sparked my uh, my interest again, you know. And I realized that I love talking about songwriting. And on my computer, I have hours, literally hours and hours and hours of conversation with other Irish songwriters and even different nationalities, but other songwriters about the, the, the craft of songwriting. So I started to listen to it again and I've put together this episode, you know. And as I said, this is particularly um, interesting to me in, in that we're really studying the why and the where this comes from. What is it about Irish people in particular? And I don't mean to be... Um, exclusive in 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 what I'm saying here, it just seems to be innate. You know, it's a part of us that we want to sing. I always say, like, you know, here in Italy, you can go into preschool with, <laughs> as rude as it sounds, <laughs> a cucumber and a zucchini, for example, which are the same shape and the you know the kind of same color, etc. But in preschool, they they will be able to tell you the difference, and I don't think that's true of um, of an Irish school, for example, or an English school, or certainly not an American school. I don't think that that uh, um, that they will so comfortably t- uh, tell you the difference. Um, so of course, because they learn about food for such an from such an early age, of course they're the best. Um, chefs in the world of course Italian cuisine is the best in the world because it's bred into them from a very early age you know and the same applies of um, with same applies to to um, Irish children in school our history is sung to us we are taught the 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 act of of the craft of rhyming words and singing them um at a very very early age you know I, I i was arguing recently with a friend who who said that um who i was i was trying to say that i don't think although you couldn't say that a preschool a child in preschool in ireland could could definitely tell you that the sound of a viola is a viola but he'll know that it's not a fiddle you know he'll know that it's it's not a violin. Do you understand me? So as a result, our ear is more refined towards song and melody. And, you know, unapologetically, we seem to have Irish songwriting seems to resound on a global songwriting musical landscape, you know, um, like it's no accident that I go to Amsterdam and there's a song circle or a singer-songwriter night in Amsterdam and it's run by Dean's, um, a man from Dean's Grange called Victor Lacken. I can, I can go to um, 
Dubai and S.P. McGee from Donegal is prominent in the in the singer songwriter scene there. Or, you know, like I said, I went to Vienna and at the heart of Schottenfest, which is a feast of Irish songwriting or the the, the, the tradition and the bardic history of storytelling. It's no accident that prominent in that or the leader of that or one of the leaders of that is Shane O'Farrell from Tala. Irish songwriters at the moment are literally the beachhead, you know, and behind us we've got this weight of waves and ocean. And within that you've got history, mythology, lore, tradition, language. Um, joy and pain. So is it the weight of tradition? Or the respect of that, of that history and um, that magic. I see it as a, as a tradition that I'm that I'm privileged to be a part of, and I'm blessed to be a part of because of my nationality. I see it as a way of connecting with my ancestors, and I think that sense of identity is so important. I think it's very important to carry that identity with you wherever you wherever you go and be proud of it. I think of a lot a lot of that identity has been watered down uh, in the times that we live in. There is an expectation on Irish singer-songwriters to have a certain authenticity about them or a certain, I mean, a soul, a soulfulness about the music. Um, that That is, I think that expectation is based in the fact that we're Irish, not just that we're singer-songwriters, but that we're Irish. And when I'm writing, I suppose I am influenced by our uh, bardic past, our um, our history of storytelling around the fire. Um, and I know that applies to a lot of cultures, but there is something unique to the Irish. Just being able to sit in the corner of a bar and sing a song in New York City, and uh, like that that's what we were all about back in the day. And if, if, who wouldn't want to be Irish when it comes to music or songwriting? I definitely think... Um... I think we we don't don't really sing in half measures, you know. I don't think um, I think it's our only. I think the arts is our only our only real place of um, being honest and truthful and fearless, you know. I think um, um, we kind of we we know how precious it is. So if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it loud and proud, I suppose. Uh, I think it's, that's just built into our design as Irish people. Um, um, there's a bit, you know, and we've obviously come from a, from being under the thumb, and uh, um, song was was probably our greatest um, kind of out, you know, our greatest way of venting our our our, fu- our fury and our emotions and sorrow, you know. Because usually with Irish people, no matter no matter what, you know, a wake, a funeral, you know, a wedding. It's all tired of the one bush for the Irish, look. What we do have probably is is Celts. Our history is, you know, kind of steeped in um, in sort of suffering. You know, it's steeped in um, in loss. It's steeped in, you know, hardship. Uh, I think, as a writer, you need it needs depth, doesn't it? It needs. Um, you be able to, ex- to express the the beauty and the love for something, the, the the 
delight that you can take in, in something, you have to know, you know, you have to have a perspective. You have to know why you cherish something so much. The fact that I can go to a place in Scotland where they're going to sing Irish songs all night and there's a strong sense of Irish culture uh, is testament to that. But I've, I've been to different places in the world and it's there everywhere you go. That that compulsion to share, you know, to, to pass on pass on a story or to pass on a thought or to pass on an opinion, whatever it might um, be. And I mean, when I sing songs, Irish songs that I love, I, I feel it. I feel it in me. I feel, uh, feel very moved. But I think my own songwriting... The Irishness in our music is to do with the kind of darker side of things, right? So it can be a, a kind of a dark... A dark place to live and grow up, but usually um, it comes good, if you know what I mean. So our songs have kind of dark themes or themes of coming out of a dark place or, you know, things getting better, a little bit about hope. And that's that's a very Irish thing. Being Irish, it's such a small word, but it's a massive, a massive thing. Um, and I love being I love being Irish. I feel fortunate. And, you know, we, we do look back. We're also being Irish, we're fort fortunate to, to be in the middle. You know, on one side we've got, we've got Britain, on the other side with the Atlantic, we've the Americas and we've got Europe. To the north we've got the ice and we've travelled all around and we've got a tradition that stretches right back into the Middle East. So it's almost like we've got this massive wellspring to draw from. And yeah, being Irish, you, you, you know, you you owe it time, you owe it love, you owe it energy. And you have to do your best with that gift and craft and tradition. Run, Cleo, run. Run like your sons and Daughters have done through your history. Thread your track the long way back across oceans that crack with your mystery. And tell me. What you learned from all the bridges that burned That stand muted and mourned in a melody Cause we're all so sick and tired of it Sick to the back teeth of the shit Can you stand up and be counted? Can you stand up and be counted? Yes, we're all so sick and tired of it Sick to the back teeth of the shit Can you stand up and be counted? Stand up and be counted So come, Quail, come Break free this tribe from the Dalriadan tribes. Obviously, Scoti is the, the Latin for, for Gaelic and Shotten as the German for Scoti. 
Um, but, but the shot were known as um, they were Irish, always Irish. There was no doubting that, and there was no one else, wherever, wherever again. It's like wherever there was, it's my theory, and we'll talk about this some other time. Where you always said, wherever there was blue cheese, there was Celts. Mine was, wherever there was pipes, there was Gales. So tell me, where you born from all the things that you learned? Where you long lost but darned in your legacy? And we're all so sick and tired of it, sick to the back teeth of the ship. Can you stand up and be counted? Can you stand yeah. up and be counted? So that's the theory. It's this, this idea of the Kaylee Day, the Druid priests, the, 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 the Celtic uh, uh, cross, you know, the Christianity with with paganism and um, reintroduction of that and community in Europe and um, different cultures and representing music and art and acceptance. Yes, we're all so sick and tired of it, sick to the back teeth of the shit. Can you stand up and be counted? Stand up and be counted. Yes, we're all so sick and tired of it, sick to the back teeth. gonna last close your ears to what they tell you and those idle gods they sell yes stop looking at the past our future's gonna last and no matter what they try to tell you there's no idle gods left to pray to do i have a song i wish i wrote i think i have a few songs that i wish i wrote but of course it changes over time depending on what music you're listening to and what kind of mood or mode you're in i consume an enormous amount of music all the time. Um, I constantly listen to music uh, in the car, you know, making the dinner. I have to stop listening to music to write music. It's a bit of a chore <laughs> that I can't put a record on while I'm writing a song. I kind of feel its absence a bit. I, I listen to an awful lot of music. I buy a lot of music. I'm always interested to hear something that's going to blow me, blow me away, but guess I'm finding it in different ways nowadays, you know. The great thing about music is there's so much to go back to as well, like, you know. Um, I'm a real 90s girl. I love 90s alternative rock, pop. And um, nowadays music is just so different that it's just, I don't know, I, I just find that a lot of music nowadays sounds very, very samey, samey. Um, it's all quite dancey with similar production. And it's because you hear it so often and becomes so familiarised in your head that sometimes you can think that you really like something or you think something's... Well, think that you really like something. I, I know if I think something is great or not. But yes, uh, in the sense of I'm constantly scouring unsigned, unknown artists, you know, that's that's where I dig deep. And 
that's what excites me is when there's somebody who is totally unknown or totally unsigned or has a Facebook page with 250 likes and they've got this, uh, you know, got some a couple of incredible songs and uh, and I learn a lot. Uh, I learn a lot more from that because it's raw and it's real and it's you, you can tell most of the time, <laughs> nearly all of the time, when someone's trying to impress. That's when I'll turn it off after like half a minute. I'll give them half a minute, and I, it gets turned off if I if we can just get one sniff of these people just want to be famous. Then it's just a no go for me. The world is filled with artificial noise, you know, with this kind of plethora of acts that are sounding generic. You know, I won't go into specifics, and I, I I'd rather support the local Irish scene than than take pot shots at some of the ones that seem to be riding high in at the moment so, but and sometimes um, a little bit of maybe a secret jealousy <laughs> takes over because you're like i don't want to hear anything because in case you know i love it and then i'm not doing that which is terrible i'm very petty but that's probably the truth but it's great you should be listening to the music and i and i uh i'm always looking at people who do that and go i should be doing more of that the cynic in me and the old school guy just doesn't really want to get around to doing that but it's, yeah, it is probably something I should do more of. It's like listen to more uh, current music um, and, and, not, and hope it doesn't make me ill. <laughs> I consciously a while ago decided to, I mean, when I say a while ago, I mean a year ago, to listen to the radio and to, to what's kind of on heavy rotation. And very quickly it just annoyed me. <laughs> So I guess I listen now, I listen to new music, I listen now, and if I like something, and there's plenty of great new music, if I like something, I listen to it. But I'm not wasting my time listening to bad music that's popular, and there's so much of it. Um, yeah, I listen to new music. I wouldn't study it, I wouldn't, I listen to it. I mean, there are contemporary artists I do listen to, it and I love and I adore. But I always go back. I study the old stuff. Study might be too strong a word, uh, but but essentially the the way I listen to music now is is I I can't remember the last time I sat down and listened to an album. <clears throat> what I do do is I have this enormous. Well, it's probably not enormous to be honest, but it's it's a reasonably sizable Spotify playlist with lots of really good tunes in it, and then I have another slightly smaller playlist with stuff that I'm not really all that familiar with. And so basically anything that kind of comes across my path gets dumped into this playlist of stuff that I'm sort of interested in, uh, but haven't really heard. Uh, so if I see something that's doing the round or if I see something that I, if, if a friend tells me that I really should check something out, I do try and set aside uh, like uh, like 40 minutes if I'm out having a walk, a walk or something like that, walking the dog, I'll set aside that, that time to to you know to to check out something new it's rare that i listen to an album um and not have a flood uh, an album i've never heard before and and not have a flood of ideas and you know certain ways that people put songs together and you know the, the, the drum beats and the energy and you know so if i find something that i like like i listen to it an awful lot so i listen to it on repeat um, and also, I guess, when I'm on the scene, when I'm on watching, you know, the songwriters uh, in, in the likes of the Zodiac sessions, I, I find myself not studying it, but certainly looking at it from an artistic eye, you know. Um, 
oh well that was lovely that part was great that lyric was lovely that key change was lovely or you know that uh, you know and the, or i might say oh i might do this a bit differently with that song that's that's the sort of process that will be going on in my head yeah i go watch other female kind of songwriters um that be at a similar level to me or maybe people that are just you know beyond me a bit just to see what it is that they're doing right. Yeah. The the danger, I suppose, of listening to what's currently in the charts and what's currently going on is that you're running the risk of being influenced by it too much and sort of emulating it or trying to create something that, uh, like subconsciously creating something that you feel will get on the radio rather than creating something for the purpose of telling your story or expressing something, uh, which is personally my um, it's what drives me to write is telling stories and connecting with people it's not it's not about getting on the radio or getting hits or anything like that the first night in a drunken haze we got lost in the crowds two spies beyond the other's lines invading you promised to be on my side you swore your life on mine my insurance says I watch my bulwark fading I surrendered all too quickly to a man of many names who had plotted excavations where my thoughts were and I wondered now and then if things would ever be the same or if anything remained beyond the water We sat upon the fallen tree one sunny afternoon Side by side, silently surveying a patch of no man's land Gazing at the wreckage, say the war would wind up soon And the thoughts of my lost brothers he made silent with his hands And I surrendered all too quickly to a man of many names Who had plotted excavations where my thoughts were So it's it. There is a strong temptation with any song to to dress it up and do something mad with it, um, or add some kind of fantastical instrumentation to it to really uh, give it some kind of a kick that maybe it doesn't doesn't want or need, just for your own ego, I suppose. Maybe. I asked you once in confidence to never leave me be. You made me swear I knew us to be better. Then my every self-destructor fear my insecurities And we shook on that and turned and watched the weather change And I surrendered all too quickly to a man of many names Who had helped me ever since I can remember And I wonder now and then if I would ever feel the same or vanish onward seasons come December I don't really feel like I own it anymore um, because the story I was telling with it isn't a story I feel in the same way that I did when I wrote it um, and now I feel like I'm telling someone else's story with it and so I'm still very happy to allow it just to be just to let the words let the words do the talking 
Scratch out before they'd see the heart beneath the hardy buck they're hiding. So I don't care that much these days for who it is that you became. I never held him, so I hold him no ill feeling. But I wonder now and then if things just might have been the same if I were happy never to break that glass ceiling. The Seduction of Eve, beautiful song by Emma Langford. Limericks, Emma Langford from her Quiet Giant album, which I've been listening to ever since I got back from Schottenfest. Um, And I apologise for interjecting. I just wanted to um, clarify the thought in this next part. Um, The theory here is based on something I read in How Music Works by David Byrne. I would um, encourage you to uh, to read it or to pick up a copy because if you're interested in music um, and in it, he, uh, he maintains that a songbird will change the pitch and the melody and the timing of its song so it resounds better in the neck of the woods that it finds itself, okay? So the idea is that there's something about the instinct, as we discussed in the in the episode about love songs, the instinct towards the mating call and the territory song, okay? And how songwriting might just be a manifestation or a, an answer to that desire, those instincts, mating call and territory song. Do you get me? You know, so that's what we're getting into now. You know that, like David Byrne says that, of course, punk music sounds like that, that kind of, you know, um, big compressed guitars and everything all in the middle, you know, because it was written to sound better in sweaty underground rooms you know what I mean where there wasn't much reverb it was just had to be all in your face you know um, and he applied that to, to how he started with talking heads and stuff um, and the analogy here goes deeper than that you know how as Irish songwriters although we may crave the idea that our song be heard across the forest floor maybe just maybe we're not writing songs for that you know, because 
the melodies that are heard or the music that is heard on the forest floor tends to be a high-pitched, repetitive, simple, rhythmic squawk. Whereas the refined ear or the, 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 the little songbird is working on a complex melody that will sound better in the neck of the woods where it finds itself. Do you get me? So that's the thinking here, you know. So to approach that, I, I was asking questions like, well, okay, as you're writing, as you, in the act of actually writing the song, do you do you consider where the song will be heard? You know, are you thinking about the room that you're going to sing the song in? You know, and um, are you thinking about the listener? Are you thinking about like what is the idea? What is success in the act of songwriting? Do you understand me? You know, are you are you considering these things? Um. You know, so we get into that. Um, it's not so much that you're thinking about the listener. It's you're just trying to write the best song you can, and songs are made for listening. So, just in the process of writing a song, yeah, of course, I'm thinking, uh, how is this going to sound? But it's not necessarily for the listener, if you know what I mean. I'm just trying to get the song to come out as best as I possibly can. I, I, I write what's inside me. I write what what comes out the way the way I see a certain situation or the way I observe a certain, certain situation that's just how it unfolds in a way which is very unique to me and yeah I just I just don't yeah I mean, it might seem horrible but I just I don't consider a listener I don't I mean, if I start, to, I, I've got enough trouble that it is trying to write a song. If I start considering other people and what they want to hear, or, or no, it just it's not going to work for me. That's that's a difficult question to answer, uh, you know, because there there's a border there, you know, and um, you know, I don't want to seem egotistical if I say, you know, if something sounds good to me, then you know, I'm probably on the right track. But I I I, I try not to use words that don't seem familiar to me you know i there's words that people would kind of go do you know what we're not we're not having that from you because we know you better than that so sometimes i do that take them into consideration that way where if there was something a little bit kind of um uh brainy if it sounded a little bit kind of forced um i would try and leave that out um although i do have my own i think i have my own little style with words i do pick words that um that i understand a lot of the songs that i'm i'm happiest with are just the songs that i just write and i don't i don't think about anything um except for just how i'm feeling and what i want to put into it and at then at the end sometimes at the end i say oh i probably won't ever share that song it's it's too personal or oh it's a bit too abstract a listener might not enjoy that and then um, it kind of surprises me then that they're the songs that people actually do enjoy. So I think listeners always appreciate um, that little kind of bit of bit of you that you might not uh, normally give. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would take it into account definitely, but not let it dictate my life. I do start thinking about well, what's this? What's this like to listen to? Um, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe I'm not challenging the listener, but. Um, I do, yeah. I I want to I, I want to keep their interest up. Um, I want to know that 
it's 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 going to bear more than one listen. But I'm only kind of using my subjective opinion as to what I think maybe bits that are too long or lyrics that are too dark. Um, you know, you can go overboard with with pathos, you know, and it, it doesn't really work if you kind of go too far into self-pity or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I suppose there's moments where you want to be really clear about what you're saying and you want to make sure that the, the person who's listening gets what you're saying and that it's really clear. And other times, I suppose you want to you want to have them maybe guessing a little bit and trying to figure out what, what you actually meant when you said what you said or you sang what you sang. I don't let that overshadow anything. I don't let it prejudice what I'm doing. Um, I tend to not put, wear that hat too much when I'm actually writing. It's more post-writing I would kind of look at the the commercial value of certain things. You know, I thought, okay, I want people to dance to this. So if I'm writing a song like that, maybe, but generally, no, I'm just writing to get a point across usually. I always think that if I heard one of my songs the way I write one of my songs, as an outsider, which is a difficult thing to do, to think this way is, would it make as much sense to me that way as it makes sense to me as I'm, like, I'm, I'm the internal kind of argument of the song, I'm the internal person, I'm the guy that's putting it out there, would it make as much sense to me? And I strive as hard as possible to make sure that, you know, I'm satisfying me, but I'm also satisfying, you know, the criteria that is required for people to, easily digest it um so i think of in that context you know that um whatever they're going to be listening to i wanted to catch them early i wanted to keep them there and i want to get out before they get too bored you know but it's only they're only a set of parameters really um i'm not i'm not thinking about the style or whatever or you know what i'm writing about the rest of that is up to me. Um, the reeling them in and keeping them there and it being a length and, you know, having a bit of structure, if you like. Maybe it's, we're looking for a specific thing. It's There's a specific, um, if I can say, commission on it, if I can, you know, that they want a specific thing or it's for a, a specific kind of show or something. And then, yeah, of course you're right uh, to what you think the, the listener and the artist will will want um but um normally i don't know normally i don't uh, i try not to uh, think about that too early on you know and it's, it's again it goes back to the whole thing about you know um the more you learn and the more the better you become at songwriting if you if you can become better at songwriting once a song is complete i think i do switch hats and i start thinking about how I will produce the song or how I will perform the song or which songs even are performance songs like because some of them are just there I think they're written for some other reason um some of them are just to be performed for like a couple of people like two two of your your friends like you know I think you do have to perform it for somebody um but I suppose that to answer your question, that's a song by song sort of thing because there are certain types of songs where as they're being written, you're like, oh, the audience could sing this part along. The, the audience could sing the chorus. That'd be great. They'll, they'll, they'll sing it back to me. I think at times there, there could be an imaginary audience there in the room and 
I might try and shock them with a with a line, and um, sometimes in the process shock myself. Um, maybe subconsciously you're aware that this song is going to be uh, be taken and and brought uh, to a live gig, and maybe subconsciously that will mould it in a certain way. But I think it's very it's very important not to. Not to you know to have the blinkers on when you're in this headspace and and not to let any outside influence creep in. Um, there is the feeling after writing a song that, fucking hell, this is going to be great live, because you know that it's going to work really well in a in a room full of bodies. Because it's when you're writing, it's just it's you and the song. It could be the last thing you ever do. You could you, you could die, and you'll never know the reaction. Do you know what I mean? You could be hit by the proverbial bus. 20 minutes after you write a song, you know what I mean? You just fucking drop dead there. So like, what does it matter what the listener thinks when you're right? I'm off to meet an Estonian girl by the Panama Cafe. I give up the cigarettes if she asks me. I'm obliging that way. There's a wine out barking at the pan flute player at the top of Jervis Street Urging him to get a real job at but I smile at the irony And the air today is moist Heavy with a rain Feels like I'm walking through cobble I'm thinking about the street, the, the gathering of people around me on the street corner as I'm stood in a shoebox. You know, I'm thinking about how I'm narrating, I'm narrating these songs uh, to, yeah, the people in the congregation or the people gathered around me on the street corner. Long story short, she informed me of my flaws as the Russian doll smashed against the bedroom wall. You catch a dead accord and you'll be no use to anyone Come on in, says every bird in the forest has his voice some are crows and some are songbirds I think songbirds have a responsibility to use their their gift to use their voice to carry great ideas or to soothe or to heal or to rally people around them uh, for good and, and not for ill-gotten gains I think Songwriting is such uh, responsibility, and if you can, if you are a songwriter, you have a responsibility to put something out there into the forest that carries weight and has depth and has substance and might benefit the human condition in some way. There's an old um, 
story that I often quote about back in the 1950s. There was an, an American folklorist driving through um, Arizona, I think it was. And in the car, he had kind of a shaman or the um, the chief of a Navajo tribe. And on the radio, there was a Motown track. And um, he turned to the, the chief and he asked, he asked them what he thought about this great track. This is what the uh, the Americans are listening to nowadays. And the chief turned around and he says, I don't know because I don't know what it's for. And I think that relates to to now being in it, you know, being in that forest, being in that space, being in those hills of Glen and, you know, finding your voice having something to say, standing up and shouting out loud, you know, um, for whatever reason, is it for a mate? Is it to be heard? Is it for the resonance of the song or the echo? I am much more aware nowadays of how a song sounds out in the air. And I'm much more aware of the importance when writing of singing it out. Like you could write a whole song in your head uh, or on a piece of paper with without ever singing a note um but I, i'm much more aware now of how something sounds how it feels when it comes out into the room how a song feels in the room and i do suppose on a, on some level i'm conscious of songs that go over well and songs that don't songs that connect with people and songs that don't really connect with people yes i mean depends on the song i all i often picture myself when i'm writing a song or singing the song in my bedroom i'll put myself on a stage somewhere um, and the stage could be, you know, the Zodiac sessions, you know, an intimate pub, open mic type gig. I could be singing it in my own mind for, you know, my friends or my family. I could be in front of a huge crowd thinking about how it will go down there. Um, it's a great question. Uh, not consciously, it's not something I thought about before. Um, but I suppose, yeah, um, I write uh upbeat stompy fun songs with the idea of uh, a standing crowd who are going to get into it and clap along and stuff and if i'm writing quiet intimate storytelling songs i'm thinking of a small intimate venue where people are sitting and listening and waiting for a story to be told so um yeah it hadn't had not occurred to me but that definitely does come into my mind when i'm writing i'd like to think that some of what i write would sound would be good in a big space and have that a big bunch of people would respond to it but um but i don't think so i think some of my music is a bit cerebral some of my songs are a bit cerebral they require kind of concentration and analysis and focus and so therefore logically one would conclude that a small place with an attentive audience is the way forward maybe not so much the room but but the atmosphere the the feeling um yeah i've often like you know when you try and write a bit of an anthem or not so much an anthem but something that you can hear being sang back to you you know the way you always picture when people i don't know about you but when you picture people writing songs, you know, you, I guess the listener can be fooled into thinking they're writing in, in you know, a beautiful apartment or, you know, uh, 
uh, windswept landscape somewhere overlooking a beautiful scene. But uh, as you and I well know, often they're in... In Wexford. (laughs) You know, what what can you do but write? And it just kind of gets you in that kind of nice, kind of cozy state of mind of just sitting down and just getting it out. So um, that in in the sense of being a physical surrounding was also very strong. So I think we all, as songwriters, have a little kind of cozy cocoon sort of place we go where we can work. So I guess you can find that anywhere. Some places it's harder than others, but there is something about the Irish cottage (laughs) that just makes you want to sit down and get busy. I think it's more so the moment, you know, it wouldn't be a room. Because there's so many rooms I could choose, you know, in my head. It's, it could be the moment, as in, obviously it's in my head, you know, mentally. Uh, I'll kind of close my eyes and imagine it's a muggy, hot summer night and you're on a stage outdoors and the lights go up and you're playing for 20,000 people. Uh, that's, I, I kind of wish all my songs could be heard in that capacity. Uh, with a with a full band playing and and just an atmosphere. It's nice to play a big room and there's a good sound and you can hear the you can hear the um, you know the nice reverb. The church as well. One good thing about churches has a good acoustics. That's the only good thing. In a specific place that I might be playing in the future or somehow I've played in the past. Uh, say maybe if I was writing a song and I had a gig coming up in uh, some theatre that I've played in before, I I would be probably writing a song and thinking of where I'm going to. This is the first place I'm going to be playing this song, and I'd be just I'd be playing the song and think and picturing picturing playing it in in this in the theatre that I'd be playing. Uh, uh, with the upcoming gig. You think, yeah, you would think about the space. You would think about the space that they would occupy. Um, that would be a, definitely be a, a thought. Um, yeah, because it, it's the storytelling, isn't it? It's 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 the connection that that you know that you'll make if you if you've been successful in in, in finishing that piece of work. Man, child. Who you waiting for, oh man, child? There's no one who can make up your mind. There's no one who can make this all right. So he gets drunk, he gets broke, he gets home. Morning, he swears he begin. Old friend, oh, you're killing me. There's no friend who could watch as you turn out the lights. There's only so many last times. Gets drunk, he gets broke, he gets home 
morning He swears he'll begin again Begin again The proud clown Of a dead end show There's no shame To sing them what they're waiting for But you don't have a heart anymore It's a different uh, it's a different dynamic. It's a, it's a it's a level of um it's a level of honesty there. There's you're talking about your craft, you know. And you don't uh, you don't sell your craft. You you write honestly, you you don't write with an agenda. You and that's always gonna have its place, I think. There's always gonna be People and you know we've all been at the the weddings and that that pop tune comes on, fair dues, let's get up and shake our arses. You know it's good fun. You know and there's always going to be people who love the simplicity of pop music and you know it has its place, absolutely has its place. But it is for me something completely different from the craft of songwriting and from the the genre and, and the tradition of, of storytelling, of, of folk writers, of yeah, that's it's something different and I think it will always have its place. It will always be people who are touched by, by that. How you feel about it, Ray? But as a Scottish uh, player, when you get up to, you do kind of feel if you would sing a, you know, a melancholic tune, you know, you do feel your people are they take it serious, you know, <laughs> they don't think uh, they don't think you're putting it on. Um, maybe we are granted whether that's right or wrong. I don't know, but we are maybe given. Um, the feeling that we are taken seriously, that people accept that we have depth to what we have to say and what we have to sing. We love stories as people, and we've got a certain kind of type of humour, and we've got a well, we've got a even though it's not our own language, we've got our own way of speaking the English language, a unique way, probably because it's not our first language, so we um, see it differently. There's the fact that we're bilingual, uh, you know. Uh, maybe not all of us speak perfect Irish, but we are fundamentally a bilingual race or, or a nation, and and I suppose that creates a certain way with words in the in Irish singer songwriters. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with you. I do agree that there's something special in the water here. Um, maybe that's what makes it so difficult to. <laughs> get your head above it. What I suppose, I mean, kind of stereotypically, what's thought of as Irish is a, a self-deprecation and a modesty, which I suppose I've grown up with, which comes into 
I guess comes into what I do as well in the sense that I don't uh, um, I, c- I kind of keep things modest in a way um, production wise and singing wise there's nothing too flowery um, I kind of keep it simple um, I think see I was brought up to be very proud to be Irish in a time when not everybody was proud to be Irish and it was we still had that post-colonial kind of hangover. We still do a little bit. Um, but I don't think that the generation, the young generation now, I don't think have it. The kind of weight on their shoulders that our generation or our parents' generation had. Um, so that kind of um, defiance and pride uh, has always informed everything I've done, really. That's a really interesting one, I think. I suppose it depends on which part of the landscape you're looking at, you know. Um, I think where I'm hanging out, there's some really great songwriting being done. Um, But then you look at some of the pop music that is out there and, like, I hate to say it, I watched X Factor at the weekend and this guy got up and played a grand piano in a box and literally repeated the same phrase or two phrases for the entire song, and that was a song. There was no songwriting in it, you know what I mean? Songwriting as a craft in today's musical landscape, the, the majority of what people hear outside of artists and writers and musicians themselves, it's it's fairly, it's an, it's an ugly landscape. It's a, it's, let's get in 10 producers, let's get in this, that, and the other, and it becomes like you know, like it's a factory. It's a factory, and it's and it's ugly. But like that used to upset me years ago. But I've I've grown I've grown past that. Like even though I sound bitter, I've actually grown past it. Like I'm just saying it as I see it. If we look at certain genres of elect of 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 music that use electronics, the song is not really not really not valued and not necessary um you know that 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 basic squawk on the forest floor could arguably arguably just be certain forms of dance music where there isn't a song and it it, it it's cl- probably closer to burundi drumming and various you know uh traditional forms of um primal music it can be disheartening that to, to think of all the songs in the world that are being written that won't be heard by a mass audience. To think of all the people you know and I know who write these incredible songs and they don't have a global audience or they're, they're not being heard by as many people as they should be. These are magnificent songs that, you know, just aren't going to break the mainstream, maybe. That specific context of singer-songwriter, you hear an amazing song and you think to yourself, that would be amazing if you hear it on the radio. And I always think it's a very, there's a, there's a lot of variables there that kind that like don't necessarily, uh, that one does not necessarily equal the other, if you know what I mean? Like A, I think um, when you experience something in, in that sort of a setting, that's very different to hearing something on the radio because your attention is probably focused focused an awful lot more 
on a particular song at a songwriter night than it would be if you heard something on the radio. In fact, uh, many of us as songwriters write for other songwriters. And you made me realize now that I tend to write not really for a global audience so much as to be respected by those whom I respect. And I respect very many Irish songwriters um, because I think it comes from an authentic place. Um, the emotion is something I relate to. I guess there's generally a sense of melancholy and fire. Yeah, I get where you're going. Um... I don't necessarily know if that's the the motivation, but I don't think it's I don't think it's as pre thought out as that. I think it be, it becomes that kind of scene. Culturally, we have a tradition of kind of just uh, settling into the session type thing and listening to the tunes that are being played, and it's kind of something that's uh, uh, social to us. But um, and maybe that doesn't exist elsewhere. Maybe that's the reason that Irish people, uh, you know, travel well to where this is seen as kind of a, a new thing or uh, an interesting thing. We, the Irish songbirds, um, perched on our branch in this massive forest of a world uh, with all the sounds just bellowing around us. And we, even though we're the smallest birds, we seem to be the loudest. We're like wrens. You know, the wren is like the 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 loudest songbird um in the world. <clears throat> as small as it is, it's like this massive voice. And we know how to speak and we know how to express ourselves um through music. And we always have done. I think we should be proud of who we are and our traditions and, and to carry that and to sing our own accents and, and to to be historians and to carry on the tradition. That poetic tradition of storytelling that that we are, you know, we're the best there is at. Success is, I think, is actually being being really happy with the song yourself before anyone else hears it. Um, that's that's success. If, if 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 it moves me, I know that I can move it to move somebody else. Um, it's it it is really beautiful to see a song growing uh, in front of a live audience. And, and eventually the song being sung back to you. I mean, that's massive stress. See people dancing and closing their eyes, their hands in the air, singing your song. It's very hard to top that.
steel drum and fountain water gush through what? So there you go, that was Surrounded by Sound, episode 4 of a series of 7 of the Irish Songwriters Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and it certainly was fascinating for me to mix down and to to listen to all these songwriters and their thoughts on the subject. Um, And it's interesting that Mundy chose to finish with an idea, well he didn't show us to finish, but you know he was speaking about um, this idea of success and that's exactly what I'm talking about in um, in the next next episode which is called Harvest what is harvest for a songwriter what is success when it comes to songwriting although um, we may get distracted by the big stages and the pop charts um, uh, we spoke about what exactly is success when it comes to actually writing the song you get me? Um, as I said, that will be episode five of seven. And you may have noticed, although this episode is longer than normal um, because I did that inter- interjection in the middle, but I tried to keep it to 49 minutes and I tried to keep it to 49 songwriters, which will make seven episodes um, of 49 minutes. And they're all based around seven questions because I'm fascinated by this Les Cycles du Set, you know, um, which I'll talk about more in the next next episode. Um, again, it's something that fascinates me about the whole process. Um, so, yeah, um, I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, listened already, to go back to listen to the other episodes and the other little um, smaller episodes that I called IS Pod Minis. I will be doing one of them um, in the near future based on this album that I mentioned, uh, Emma Langford's Quiet Giant, which I find beautiful. Um, a beautiful, beautiful album. She's, she's, she's put so much care into her lyrics. It really struck me. And I think it was that when I was listening to her play in Schottenfest that really, you know, reignited the, the, the fire I have um, inside me about songwriting, you know, or for songwriting. And um, it was lovely to hear and lovely to, it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to talk to you again. If you did enjoy it, please give it a share, you know, on your whatever social media you have um, to people who may, um, may share the same interest as you and I and us, you know. Um, I don't even remember, jeez, I don't even remember the name of the Facebook page, but um, have a look, have a look for... Uh, the Irish Songwriters Podcast on Facebook and maybe give the page a share as well. We're a small community, but I feel um, that uh, I certainly get a lot of love from the, from you guys, the listeners. So thank you for that. Again, my name is Ray Heffernan and I will see you again soon, I hope. Um, let me know what you think, You can um, if you fancy getting in touch with me. And um, 
And thank you very much for listening. As I said, there is so much stuff that you could have pressed play on. And uh, thank you for pressing play on this. This is the Irish Songwriters Podcast.